When we talk about kings and rulers of nations, what we most want is for us to live in peace. But our history, of course, is replete with all kinds of stories that make peace a very fragile thing. This crown is not just any crown. It's actually a replica. It it, uh, no longer exists, and you'll know why in a sec. The real crown no longer exists. But it was made for either Henry VII or Henry VIII. It was certainly used on a regular basis by Henry VIII. He used to use it particularly in the Feast of the Epiphany, which comes after Christmas, when he would distribute uh, presents of gold, frankincense and myrrh to his courtiers. It was used in the coronation of each of Henry's children, most famously Queen Elizabeth I. But it was melted down in 1649 in the Tower of London by Oliver Cromwell. It was the end of the monarchy. Not only was it the end of the monarchy, they actually chopped the head off their king, their divinely appointed king, Charles I. And God didn't do anything. The French did it a hundred years later when they chopped the head off their divinely appointed king, Louis XVI, that began the French Revolution. The king was too powerful, wasn't listening to the people, so they chopped his head off and we had the French Revolution. Now Louis was more powerful than Charles I, because Charles I's power was a little bit constrained by the signing of the Magna Carta 300 years before. But the idea of the divine right of kings, and it's really pertinent to our story because it was very true in the time that the story was written, is that the king had the right to do whatever the king said he wanted to do. It was not always a him, but usually. The power of life and death over every subject, and the power to create war and create peace, do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. That was the purpose of the divine right of kings, because they were there under God to speak for and work for God. Now, the Romans at the time of Jesus were not keen on kings. Um, they'd had terrible time 500 years before in the early Roman kings, so they said, we're going to form a republic, which they did. This is the shortened version of Roman history. They did form a republic. By the time we get to the life of Jesus, about 100 years before, uh, they'd be, the, 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 we see Julius Caesar, um, who is in, in direct um, fight with um, Pompey and the other generals of Rome, and there's a civil war, essentially. all boils down to a man called Augustus, who calls himself Augustus, August, where we get the name for our month of August, of course. He calls himself not king, but emperor and son of God, which has echoes in our Bible. Divine one. Couldn't use the word king because the Romans didn't like kings, so he used the word emperor, but it was the same thing. He took to himself all power and authority. By the time he's dead, by the time we get to our story here, it's the the emperor Tiberius, who is now emperor, but he's managed to carry on the same thing. That if Augustus was the divine right of kings, then so was Tiberius because it was handed down. So when 
Pilate wants to know, are you the king of the Jews? He wants to know, are you going to try and usurp the divine authority of the emperor? Are you going to try and break apart the world as we've built it? The Roman world, the known world controlled by one people and by one person. And he had a good reason to ask that question because the Jews had done it plenty of times before, tried to revolt against their overlords. Only 150 years before, the family of the Maccabees had, had fermented a huge revolt which had ended up in the destruction of huge parts of the country and the death of thousands and thousands of Jewish men and women. Not unlike the First World War, for us, is still affecting us. We all have family deeply affected by that. That would have been true by the time we get to Jesus about the Maccabean revolt, and there were others. And it's true that only a few years later, another generation later, and there's another revolt, and the entire country is decimated. It's the destruction of the temple. Those of you who were here last week, we had a picture on the wall of a wall of the temple, one of the bits that's left. So asking the question, are you the king of the Jews, is a question about stability. It's vital to the empire. The empire cannot lose control and power. Now Shelley tells us with a, with a poem about Ozymandias that it doesn't last. It all just blows away into the dust. But we don't want to believe it. We want to believe we can control things, stay the way they are and make them solid. The reason we've got a thing called Christ the King Sunday, which we celebrate today, is because Pope Pius XI in 1925 realised that power was slipping away from him. There was an enormous fight with the Italian government at the end of the First World War about who could have temporal power, that is, power in the actual land of Italy. Was it the Pope, who in times past had essentially controlled most of Italy and, in fact, huge parts of Europe? Or was it the duly elected Italian government? It was called the Roman question. And it was finally settled, this is again is a terribly shortened version, in the Pope being the boss of... The Vatican, a tiny little nation all by itself and having no control over the rest of Italy. Temporal authority, real authority in the world and moral authority were slipping away from the church. So the Pope thought, well, we've always been in control in the past and we've done it by being kings. A Pope is essentially a king and he certainly is the king of the Vatican. Let's reassert that by having a special church service where we remind people that God is the king and God's going to make God's will, will happen and it's just going to be done like it's always been done by being strong and being powerful. But it didn't work, did it? I mean, the church has less power and moral authority in the world than it's ever had. Do you, do you remember, I don't know why this came into my head this morning as I was thinking again about this, that in the newspaper there used to always be a little article, usually called Word of the Day or Thought of Faith or something. It would be written by a minister and they would write it. You'd have to look through a lot of newspapers now to find something like that. that would, in fact, if somebody printed one now, it would seem quite strange, wouldn't it? Sort of anachronous. 
Or the, they still do it on Radio 4 in Britain because, you know, the British, they love a bit of tradition. They still have the word for the day where a clergyman comes on and uh, says something at the end of the broadcast uh, at about 11 o'clock at night or something. They used to have it on TV. Of course, that, that went as well. The church as centre of community, not only formal community, but, but, but a sense of moral centre of the community, that's all gone, all gone away, hasn't it? Often people in our congregation here have told me how in times past this building and the buildings around it and where we've got the car park and the community garden the ten- was the tennis court was the centre of their community life. They would come here on Friday night for youth group. They would come on Saturday to play tennis and to have picnics. They would come on Sunday to Sunday morning church service followed by Sunday school, which uh, originally was in the afternoon in many of these churches. And then uh, uh, I missed Saturday night. Saturday night would be the dance. And Sunday would be church, Sunday school, and sometimes an evening service. That's the whole weekend. That was, it was the centre of the community. Many people uh, have come to these churches and met their future partner. In fact, I've had people tell me that that's why they came because that's where all the boys were or where all the girls were. And fair enough, makes sense, doesn't it? That we were the centre of, the, of these communities and these buildings were full of those kinds of activities all the time. Now, of course, our building is full of activities all the time too, but it's not quite like that. The church as centre of the community has completely disappeared. Whenever we have a, a big church service here, like we did on November the 11th, we had nearly, probably nearly 200 people here, I can guarantee you, as we go out, one of us will say to me, one of, wouldn't it be great if it was like this every week? Like, we don't understand why they don't want to be a part of what we're doing. But for most of us, if we have children and grandchildren, they're not much interested in this either, are they? Because the centre of the community has shifted. And it's no good being like Pius XI and bang on about it and say, right, we've got to do something to make people. It's no good being like Augustus and forcing people into one way of being human. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Everyone had to do exactly the same thing in exactly the same way. And that was the only way to keep the peace. I think we need a whole different understanding of Christ the King Sunday and I think Jesus offers it to us because working out of fear and anxiety that everything is going away is not life giving now we're going to work hard and, and um, today there will be an opportunity for you to receive a copy of the draft mission plan for our congregation if you're interested in those kinds of things because on the 16th we're going to have a, a, a congregational meeting and we'll be able to talk about the mission plan that we've already talked about. It hasn't changed a great deal from when we did our workshop together and wrote it up but we'll need to pass that formally on the 16th and you'll have a chance to look at it and within that you'll find that we're going to work hard between us, amongst us all, to see what we can do to, make, to grow our congregation. And that's really important. But it'll only be useful to us if we do it out of joy, not out of fear and anxiety. 
not out of fear and anxiety. Because I, I don't want to come here if all I'm going to do is look, every time I look around and go, oh God, there's less people here than there were last week. All right, let's get on with it. You know, what? what's the point of that? I've got better things to do with my time. Well, I don't because I know this is my job. But you do. It's only going to grow. It's only going to sustain if we do it out of joy. And so that's why Jesus comes to us and says, when, when Pilate says to him, are you a king? My kingdom is not from this world. Now, Jesus is not saying, I live in a spiritual plane and nothing physical ever affects me. I just meditate and everything's wonderful. No. What he's saying is, a better translation is, my kingdom is not built out of or coming out of this way of being in the world. It's not about fear and control. It's not about maintaining something that is passing away, as in the picture of Ozymandias, or of this crown, glorious though it must have been, and as it appears to be in replica. It doesn't last forever. It's not our job to fix everything. It's not our job to make it work. It's not our job to be more committed. It's our job to live in the joy of the experience that we have as people loved by God. My kingdom's not coming out of this world. Because if it was, my people would do what your people are doing, what all the people do when they're frightened and in a corner they fight. They get angry, they get depressed, they get frustrated. We've all we've done that. And sadly, the people of Judea do that again, as I said, a generation after this story. And then Jesus said, my kingdom is not from here. And you can get him a sense of him looking around. The, the, from what we understand of history, Pilate used the Herodian palace, the large palace of Herod, which wasn't that much smaller than the temple that we mentioned last week, an enormous structure in Jerusalem. That he used that, he com commandeered that whenever he was in Jerusalem, uh, which was why he was there for the Passover, to keep the peace. And you can see Jesus saying, my kingdom's not from here, looking around at all of this opulence, all of this every symbol of power, like the statue of Ramesses III, this enormous stone thing. My kingdom's not about this. And Herod says, well, so you are a king? In other words, well, how can you be a king if you're not going to exert authority and power and get people to force people to do as they're supposed to do? How on earth can you be a king? And that's when Jesus says, my job is to tell the truth. And all the way through John's Gospel, the truth is that God is present with us in every moment. The first story in John's Gospel, Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus turns ordinary things into extraordinary things. Jesus recognizes the, in, the ordinariness of life, and yet it's imbued with gloriousness. That's the very first story, and it keeps on going. Jesus says, I'm here to tell the truth. The truth. So be it. <laughs>